You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfish, and I don't want to learn calculus. And I'm Ari, and I also don't want to learn calculus. <laughs> and today we'll be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, Too Short a Season, and When the Bow Breaks. But first, uh, well, uh, it's a couple days after Christmas. I'm actually snowed in right now. Oh. Me too. <laughs> I made a made a joke on Twitter. Call me Edward, because I'm snowed in. <laughs> funny (laughs) uh we are yeah we get more snow up here where we live because we live up in the mountains but Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of snow my husband drove the kids to their friend's house for their christmas get together that they do every year yesterday and i told them i was like if we drive you you're gonna get stuck (laughs) like probably (laughs) and they were like it's okay we're at our friend's house And their parents are out of town, so... (laughs) My car was, like, on fumes uh, yesterday, so I made sure to to drive down to Costco before more snow fell and uh, the roads were slick. Yeah. So, uh, what'd you get for Christmas? Oh, me and my husband bought ourselves new Apple Watches. (laughs) We needed new ones. We were on really old ones, so we're old. We're adults. We have kids. (laughs) We just (laughs) bought each other watches. Uh, I got a uh, a memory foam uh, mattress, my old mattress was like i don't know five or six years old so uh for for a fat person that's an eternity um (laughs) so i've been uh breaking that one in and uh i think i should be getting here in a couple days a uh a new uh weighted keyboard so i'm looking forward to that awesome i'm looking forward to hearing what music you make with that that'll be so cool Mm -hmm. uh do you have any new year's resolutions i don't really i used to make them but the older i get the more it's just like the turning of the year doesn't feel like such a big deal like it used to it was like oh i used to be like now it's time for renewing myself and all that kind of stuff like i'll try to do stuff better start out the year better but as you know 2019 2020 2021 have been hellish kind (laughs) of years and really it's more just like stealing myself for battle now (laughs) is what it feels like i think my new year's resolution will probably be to uh sleep through new year's eve (laughs) sleep through it i haven't gone out in years and years because i just don't like the idea of dying to a drunk driver so i haven't gone out for new year's since i think the last time i went out was the year 2000 that's ridiculous i was Um, also nine months pregnant and we went to this party in a in a loft down by the Space Needle because we were going to go watch the Space Needle explode on 2000. And, of course, it was Y2K. So the whole joke was, are the fireworks even going to go off or do computers control the fireworks? But everything went off without a hitch. And I think that was my last New Year's Eve party. <laughs> my... Uh- my Y2K New Year's Eve party, I was 14, and we were doing it at uh, my local church. And uh, at midnight, I was in the breaker room shutting everything off. Just in case? No, to trick Uh-oh. people to think Y2K people, that's happened. even better. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure our younger listeners are like, what's a Y2K? <laughs> It was a weird, it was a weird New Year's because everybody didn't know really what was going to happen at midnight. Like pretty much like those of us who were logical thought nothing wasn't really going to happen, was really going to happen. But I don't know, there was, I remember it being a big deal. I remember my parents, because I was 19 or 20 at the time, I remember my parents being very stressed out about it, that they were going to lose all their money that they had like in the stock market and stuff like that. What a weird time. <laughs> Voyager actually did a Y2K episode uh, before uh, Y2K happened, where they made oh. the very bold prediction that absolutely nothing happened on Y2K. Uh, <laughs> 
I thought well, that was a r- risky one to release before uh, the year 2000, but uh, good on you, Star Trek. You pretty much yeah, got it right. Pretty much, yeah. Today we are discussing Too Short a Season, which is the 16th episode of the first season. It first aired on the 8th of February, 1988. The teleplay is by Michael McAlian and DC Fontana. The story is by Michael McAlian, and it's directed by Rob Bowman. An elderly Starfleet admiral hides a deadly secret as he leads the Enterprise D in a hostage rescue mission. I suppose that's the plot. <laughs> these, <laughs> these plots are not usually accurate to what I think of the episode episode being about i hate this episode so much like it's so stupid <laughs> like we we have already been through the racist space africa episode and i still think this one is worse <laughs> oh man racist space africa was so bad i don't know like when he first came on i was like what's with the bad makeup and the overacting and that's i think i even texted you and said who's the guy in the wheelchair or who's the admiral or something like that Uh because i thought the reason he was in old people makeup was that he was supposed to be somebody from the original series um because i was trying because i couldn't i was trying my brain was trying to rationalize (laughs) the bad makeup and stuff i couldn't and, and i and the way he acted as an older person was just terrible acting but then when he got down to no makeup he was still a terrible actor yeah <laughs> so they I just, think it they, was just the actor <laughs> they just cast a really bad person they had really bad makeup everything about the execution of the episode was horrible it was um, so bad <laughs> i i feel like there was um I think there was like a deliberate choice, especially because dc fontana worked on the teleplay here and she was a writer on the original series to try and uh, get some parallels to the original series episode Conscience of the King where Kirk returns to uh, a colony that he was raised on as a as a kid where like a, a genocide took place. Where Captain Kirk was raised where the genocide took place? Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, that's interesting. Especially like the, the way that the general looks and the set that he's on and the way he acts. He He's definitely an original series type of a character. Yeah, he was. Karnas, that's who we're talking about, right? Yes. Every time I see this episode, I'm just sitting here waiting for it to be over going, I don't care about this dude. I don't care about any of it. They're all like making machinations and like, aha, it turns out I was the one who did the hostage thing the whole time and it was all to get revenge on you. And I'm like, yeah. who are you again? <laughs> yeah, these people mean nothing to us. I know. <laughs> um, so like I tried really hard to like understand the motivation. I, tr- I even had a little bit of empathy for the wife because she had no idea what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was really hard to have any empathy for this guy, for the, for the Admiral guy, or even for Karnas. I didn't have any, like, neither of them were sympathetic, empathetic characters. Um, I mean... He, we, I, were we supposed to feel like he had made the right choice to arm both sides of the war? No, I think that was supposed to be a mistake that he had made that he's now paying the price for. It seems so cowardly. Okay, I'll give you weapons, but I'm also going to arm your your enemies and, you know, just scoot off planet with my starship, you know? Yeah, Um. there was actually uh, an original series episode in which the Enterprise is a... Uh, uh, at a planet where the Klingons are arming, like, one side of a conflict. And so Kirk, like, rationalizes that, uh, you know, to give weapons to one side would be a violation of... Uh, the natural development of the of the planet, and so violating the 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 prime directive. But since the Klingons have done it first, 
that mm. they should just go ahead and arm the other side to make things easy. I wonder it was if obviously, that's where this it was idea parallel, came from. Well, it was uh, it was a parallel for like you know the Korean War or something like that. You know, yeah. or, or 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 any kind of a proxy war that the the U.S. and the USSR had ever engaged in. And the the end of the episode was just Kirk realizing, uh, yeah, the. <laughs> this doesn't work, and uh, everything's just just horrible. Let's just leave. So, did we determine before that DC Fontana has written for the original series? Is that what you said? Yeah, she was she okay. was one of the original writers uh, of the show. She really likes political theater because, like, the mm-hmm. first one was about delegates. This one was about negotiations for hostages. She also wrote Encounter at Farpoint. Oh, did she? Yeah. Um, I guess I just hadn't started being aware of the writers' names at that point. All my notes are about random things in the episode that I thought were interesting, like the self-closing drawers. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. self-closing drawers is kind of cool. <laughs> oh, I loved the lionfish. There was that shot where Picard is, like, talking, but in the background, they've sh- they've... They've set up the shot so clearly so that you can... Because there's a very active lionfish in an aquarium behind him. And the whole time he's talking, all I could watch was this lionfish because he's like swimming in circles and coming up to the glass and like and going away. And I thought it was so interesting because of all the fish, lionfish are kind of alien looking. And I wondered if they picked a lionfish for that reason, because it looked like it could be like an alien creature they had put in an aquarium. That fish has a name. Oh, does he? What's his name? His name is Livingston. Livingston. I love it. (laughs) And Patrick Stewart hated that they put a fish in his writing room he he thought that in a future where we no longer enslave animals for our own uh amusement or for meat that there's no way picard would have an aquarium in his in his writing room that's interesting yeah certainly not one so small where it's just one fish who's just living alone um i mean obviously there's still pets in the 24th century but no, uh, Patrick Stewart thought that he should not have had a fish, but, you know. Interesting. That is interesting. Wasn't his yeah. call. Uh, no, it's not. He's not the set designer. <laughs> um, I liked Anne, the wife's uh, costumes. I thought they were well done. Um, I liked her blue dress, but her pink dress later on was even better. <laughs> I didn't even notice. I was just sitting oh. there hating the episode the whole time I was watching. I think I was just looking for things I liked because I was so bored. Because I was like, it, it, I just did not rem- I So I had seen this one before. And actually, mm-hmm. these two episodes that we're recording are the last two that I've seen before. So now I'm going into new ones. But I did not remember the plot. And my husband said, oh, it's the one where he gets younger. And I was like, no, I don't even remember that. Like, this episode <laughs> didn't stick out to me enough to ma- remember the main plot point and i only watched it like five months ago i should remember it the wheelchair that he's in at the start of uh, the episode you mean the dalek chair (laughs) it looks very comfortable um but i'm going to i'm going to protest you calling it a dalek chair because uh it's probably more uh directly a reference to the wheelchair that uh, um commodore pike was in in the original series. That might be why I thought he was supposed to be an original series person. Maybe I mm-hmm. thought he was supposed to be Pike. Because something felt familiar to me about it and I couldn't figure out what. But also, I couldn't help noticing when he beamed onto the Enterprise on the transporter pad in a wheelchair. There's no access ramp on the t- <laughs> transporter pad. 
So how'd they get that thing down? Oh, that's true. It's two steps down. <laughs> why, and why isn't there an access ramp on the transporter pad? This is the future. Disabled people work in Star Trek. Starfleet. Yeah, like, that's so funny because even my husband, when we were watching the episode, was like, oh, I wonder if the Enterprise is ADA compliant. But when he said not. that, we were on the bridge. And I was like, well, it's a ramp that goes down. So, yes. Oh, yeah. In the bridges. But now that you mentioned the teleport or the yeah the, the transporter transport room or whatever i you're right it's like two steps down right and then you're yeah. down on the floor uh-huh <laughs> yeah and here's the thing uh, uh ada compliance actually goes down on the enterprise later uh the bridge is pretty much ada compliant yeah those ramps are great except for the railings because i noticed when he stood up from his chair he tried to like grab the railing and the railing goes down to the ground <laughs> <laughs> true but um in Star Trek Generations, the movie, they actually did a little bit of redesigning the bridge. They added a couple uh, additional stations and everything, you know, to make it look more interesting for the big screen. And one thing that they did was that the cutout in the middle where the captain and, and Riker sit, they added stairs to it. So it was ADA compliant and they made it non-ADA they compliant for the movie. Yeah, <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so Iverson's disease, I assume that was just, like, their take on, like, Lou Gehrig's or something. They made up a disease, right? They always make up diseases. Um, I, I, I think it's very rare that they use a disease that actually exists today, because I think the implication is they've cured all of those. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. There's an episode of Star Trek Enterprise where they find the first human colony uh, away from Earth, but, like, everything there has, like, regressed to, like, cavemen basically because mm -hmm. all their technology is gone and the doctor finds one of them and they're like oh she's dying of cancer it's easily i've already cured it for her but uh you know it's an easily yeah. treatable condition because another 400 years in the future they'll have had all that time to cure all of our diseases yeah what about there was some weird lines in there when um beverly is kind of looking over him after they realize he's taken this miracle fountain of youth cure um and she says his dna is skewed <laughs> It's like, what exactly is skewed DNA? Like, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, my DNA is skewed because I have a genetic disorder. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, I was like, what does that even mean? Like, she would have to have seen his DNA before, unless it doesn't look like any human DNA. And then he'd be evolving into something that wasn't human. Like, the whole <laughs> the whole thing was weird. <laughs> well, actually, she would have had access, because he's a Starfleet Admiral, she would have had access to his, his medical history. And I'm sure he had his well, DNA on true. file from before, so she might have been able to compare it. Oh, that's a good point. But yeah. still, his DNA is skewed is a weird line. It's kind of like, you zoom in and enhance. It doesn't really mean anything <laughs> you know <laughs> i liked that basically Carnus gets on the screen and he's like hey admiral there you are oh man you're old <laughs> <laughs> i was like dang buddy you know how old this guy is. i also feel like at the end once he's just died of young age that Carnus is like all right well uh, i got my revenge you can have your uh, uh ambassador back uh you know the hostages were like we never saw them. I think they were supposed to be, it was the Federation embassy that they had like taken them hostage or something like that. But, you know, we never see them. And then it's just like, okay, uh, I'm releasing the hostages. No harm, no foul. And then like Picard just like lets it go. Like it's kind of like the Sele and the Antikins where they're like, here's this plot. Like that doesn't really mean much. And they ate one. Oh, ha ha ha. And then it's same thing with this. It's like hostages. Yeah. Yeah. They got let go. It's fine. They're gone. 
His old man makeup, I know I talked about this already, but it was so bad. It was so and, bad. And the the lady, though, Anne, the wife, she wasn't in old people makeup, right? Although a no. couple times the lighting kind of looked bad on her makeup, but I think that was just her regular makeup. No, they just they just cast an older woman to play the wife. Oh, she kind of reminded me a little bit, and this is kind of a stretch, but it, there was a point where I was watching it and I got kind of irritated because he had taken the Fountain of Youth pill or whatever it was. Yeah. And... um. She's like, you can't do this. We, I like taking care of you. And the, I, you didn't ask me if you did this ahead of time. And it bothered me because it's not your body, Anne. <laughs> like, if yeah. he wants to do dumb shit to his body, he can. And it kind of reminded me of, and I know that the internet hates Skylar White for different reasons that I hate Skylar White. But <laughs> I hate Skylar White because she tried to tell... Uh, Oh, man, what is Heisenberg's actual Walter. name? Thank you. He, she tried to tell Walter how to have cancer, how to react to having cancer, how to feel about having cancer. And that really bothered me and set me off on a bad like place with Skylar. But by the end, I actually really liked Skylar's character. <laughs> and that actress is one of the best actresses I've ever seen. She's so good at playing Skylar. But the point about it is, is she, it kind of reminded me of that. Like, if somebody wants to, if they're dying and they take an experimental drug, is it really your wife's choice? choice like i understand that she was kind of mad because he took both doses one was for her but i don't think that's where the anger was coming from i think the anger was you did this without asking me i think she's right to be angry that he would hide it from her like hiding yes i agree especially the part when he's like having the heart attacks or whatever he was having yeah no he should have been up front with her about it and you know they she could have like maybe said i don't want you to do this and he said well i want to do this so i'm going to and that would be a reasonable disagreement to have but you yeah, I think she was right to be upset that he would hide it from her. Yeah, but not the fact that he would do it at all. Because yeah. really, when it comes down to it, if he's like terminally ill or whatnot, and he chooses to do some weird experimental thing, that's his choice. His body, his choice. Hey, know? listen, if if I have ALS and I get to take that, that miracle drug with the off chance that it'll kill me, uh, I mean... You're going to try it? The ALS has a pretty good chance of killing me anyway, so yeah, I'm going to try it. I like how we got ta- like a little bit of Tasha thrown at the end. They were like, oh, we forgot Wesley this entire episode, but here's three seconds of Tasha. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm always looking for my favorite characters. Oh, I remember something I wanted to ask. Is this the first instance of seeing somebody set their phasers to kill, and is that why we had Data over explain it? <laughs> He says, there's phasers, they're set to kill. And then Picard's like, yeah, I know, I've heard the sound before. And my brain was like, is the sound different? <laughs> the sound was different. It was a more piercing noise. Um, and But yeah, obviously they had the line in there to draw attention to it. No, I don't think we had seen anyone uh, set their phasers to kill before this episode. I mean, obviously in the original series they did, but this was the first right. time in the next generation. Yeah, so I thought that was uh, interesting. Like, oh, and because, you know, like most shows, it's teaching us things. Like, we've heard phasers set to stun. I've never actually heard them in the show yet say phasers set to kill, you know. Mm-hmm. The uniforms that Karnas was wearing reminded uh-huh. me of the blue camo. Um, that Navy wears. So I looked it up. They didn't start wearing blue camo until 2008, and it only lasted for 11 years. They killed it in 2019 because a lot of the Navy people were saying, if we fall off a boat, you won't be able to find us, which is a very good point (laughs) about blue camo. (laughs) There's no real reason to have camo in the ocean because, like, uh, your camouflage in the Navy is called a submarine. Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, what do we, you, you, I mean, unless you're camouflaging yourself, like on the, like, it, let's say you're like on a big aircraft carrier and you want to camouflage yourself so the f- planes can't see you, but you wouldn't wear blue camo to do that anyway. I would but think I you'd look- want to wear urban camo for that. Right, exactly. I looked it up to see if it was supposed to be a nod to the blue camo because I had no idea when blue camo came around and it didn't come around until 2008. So it was just an interesting tie dye experiment, I guess, for, <laughs> for the cat, for the costume people on Next Generation. This is also the first time we see uh, an Admiral's uniform. And did it change throughout the episode? Because I thought when he was an old man, it was a sash. It's not a sash. It looks like a sash, but it's just a, a stripe. On on the uniform that kind of oh, okay. that that it's it's a diagonal stripe so it's in the style of a sash but it is not a sash. Um, I don't think we ever see that variant of the uniform again. It's a little uh, gaudy. It is. I don't think they ever fully settle on just one admiral uniform style. There's a couple different variants, and they may mean different things for like different ranks of admiral, or or maybe admirals gets to pick their poison on on uh, what they want to look like. I don't know. I wonder if it has to do with his age because he became an admiral so long ago could be i thought maybe that was why it looked so kind of old-fashioned yeah the star trek movie uniforms the uh from like wrath of khan and stuff they were like a wrap that that had a little clasp on the shoulder so it kind of had like a a sash look to that if it was open maybe it was kind of referencing that a little bit yeah it could be to segue into the next episode something i found interesting between this episode and the next one we're going to watch, which is, or talk about, which is when the bow breaks, is that they both kind of have a fairy tale theme to them. Mm-hmm. This one had, you know, Fountain of Youth type fairy tale vibes to it, and obviously, even the title is a reference to, you know, children's rhymes with "When the Bow Breaks." So I thought that was interesting that twice in a row we got two things themed around kind of supernatural fairy tale things, and I thought that was kind of weird. It must have been a conversation in the writer's room and they spun two things off of it. It spawned two different... Yeah, I know. And I think that's interesting because they put them right back to back instead of having a break between them. But once again, this was 1988 or whatever, and so they probably thought no one was going to sit and analyze (laughs) what episodes they put out in a row. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I guess we're going to move to When the Brow Breaks, which is the 17th episode of the first season. It first aired on the 15th of February, 1988. It is written by Hannah Louise Shearer and directed by Kim Manners. Wesley Crusher must protect a group of kidnapped Enterprise D children while Captain Picard fights for their release. From Deep Throat. (laughs) Yeah. Man, I hated these guys. I yeah. hated them so much. Like I, I, I don't think I have hated a, a Star Trek villain as much as this. Just stealing children and acting completely nonchalant. It's like, oh, it's just fine. We're just t- stealing children. It's whatever. It's like, no, f- you. <laughs> yeah, I know they were really nonchalant about it. I like, like Brenda Strong holding that little girl in her arms, being like, no, no, you must stay here with me. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, guys. The- there's not very much sympathy coming for me from these people who steal children and don't understand it. <laughs> now, my first thought when uh, the planet decloaked was like, oh, are we doing a space brigadoon? <laughs> So I had been under the impression that planets could cloak themselves and this, but they acted like this was some 
like technology they'd never even thought of before. So is it not a common thing? Uh, I don't think I've seen any planets uh, cloaked before on Star Trek, no. Okay, that's interesting, because I thought that it was a common thing they could do. There's there's other times in like future episodes where planets like were thought lost or then magically reappear or something like that, and there's always some mm. different sci-fi explanation for it. I think Deep right. Space Nine actually does have a literal space brigadoon planet. Yeah, I want to ask you a question before we go forward with the episode, because I was thinking about it kind of during last episode, but some during this episode. Do you think that Star Trek would be what it is today with like the blockbuster J.J. Abrams movies and just like such a part of our culture if the next generation had never been made? Because I keep thinking about how the 2005 reboot of Doctor Who really brought the doctor back into everybody's lives right like we all grew up kind of having doctor who there it played on pbs when i was a kid and i used to think it was really cheesy and stupid and i didn't really get into it until the 2005 reboot because then it was more like something i could relate to it was you know modern and i understood what was going on so do you think that star trek would be what it is today without the next generation absolutely not i mean the entire 90s had Star Trek shows running nonstop uh, because mm-hmm. of because of TNG. If they had because just, of its success, right? Yeah. If they, uh, I mean, and and it was uh, the, they realized they could make the next generation because uh, Star Trek Four was like it was such a critical and commercial success. Everyone loved it so much. They're like, oh, we 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 got to strike while the iron's hot. People like Star Trek again. Yeah. And if they had let that opportunity pass and just made a couple more movies, I think it would would have petered out. And it would just be that old sci-fi series nobody talks about. And and maybe somebody would have picked it up again, like, I don't know, uh, five, ten years later, and we might have another Star Trek Renaissance, but I, I can't even imagine what that would look like. It would be a completely different uh, franchise if they, had, if they had done that. Now, I haven't seen Enterprise, but that's the one with Scott Bakula, right? Yeah. And I haven't heard very good things about that one, and maybe I'm wrong, um, but I've not heard very good things. And I feel like a show like that wouldn't have gotten made had the T- had TNG not been successful already, as well as Deep Space Nine by that point, right? And even Voyager, I think, was, po- was pre-Enterprise, right? Yeah. Enterprise came out after Voyager ended, and I think Enterprise suffered a lot from just audience fatigue. Um, It was the lowest performing of any of the Star Trek series, and it only got four seasons. I didn't even, like, I actually stopped watching it while it was on the air because I had kind of lost interest in it. Um, But I, you know, I picked it up again later, and, like, by the fourth season, it's some of the best Star Trek I've I've ever seen. It just, you know, it had lost its audience by that point, so it got canceled. That happens often with shows, I've noticed. But it was just going through my head while I was watching these two episodes that were kind of Monster of the Week-type episodes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know... It kind of reminds me of how there's so many bad episodes in that first season of Doctor Who. But overall, the first season of Doctor Who is very good. Like, I'm talking about the Eccleston season. Right. Um, Like, there's... I hate the Slovene. Um, And so... (laughs) Everyone hates the Slovene. There's three or four Slovene episodes in that first season. And, like, that's four out of 13. So it's a... Or three out of 13, which is a big chunk, right? Because there's the two-parter in any way. But the point is, is there's bad episodes in there. And there are some bad episodes in this first season of TNG, but it doesn't take away from the overall kind of like joy of it overall, just from having these random bad episodes. Because, Mm -hmm. and I think it's because it's the 80s and 90s and stuff, because if we were watching this on streaming, 
nobody would put up, like, new, I mean, nobody would put up with all of these random Monster of the Week episodes, I don't think, at this point in 2021, almost 2022, right? Well, you also have to consider that when this was airing uh, among Star Trek fans, TNG was not popular. Oh, really? Why wasn't it popular? Well, because it didn't have Kirk. And they kind of <laughs> felt like it was uh, derivative. And uh, honestly, um, it wasn't until like the third season or so that people felt like the show was actually really good. There's uh, there's um, a TV trope called growing the beard. Yes, I've heard that term. Right. It specifically refers to in season two when Riker starts wearing the beard. And it, it's a, a trope that means, oh, the show has finally figured out how to be good. Are we? When do we get Riker's beard? In season two. It, it's pretty common for star trek shows to have like a rocky first couple seasons before it find they find their stride i find uh discovery was like that i didn't really like the first two seasons of discovery that much but starting with season three i thought i think it's been a really good show um i'm hoping picard gets there because i did not like the first season of picard and that's all we've got so far i only half watched picard because i didn't know the characters because i hadn't Uh watched tng but i actually liked it i was planning on going back and re-watching it for season two but now i'm saving it till we finish re-watching it for the podcast or watching all of tng for the podcast I think the only shows, the only, the only Star Trek shows that I think were good just right out the gate were uh, the original series and uh, Lower Decks and m- maybe Prodigy, but we only have half a season of Prodigy out. So I- I'm kind of waiting until that finishes. Before have you I- watched more of it yet? I have yeah, only I've- still watched the first episode. I've seen I've seen uh, uh, everything that's out so far. Everything that's out. And I'm just there should be more coming out next month. So we'll see. Interesting. Okay, back to the episode. That was just something that was going on in my head while I was watching these two, thinking about where would Star Trek be if the next generation had not been as popular. So if it wasn't popular with Star Trek fans, it must have been popular with non-fans and creating new fans. Well, I I think uh, a lot of people were, you know, still watching it because it was new Star Trek. And, you know, it was popular with, with some people, but it didn't really hit its stride and it didn't People tend to think that the uh, the two-parter, the best of both worlds, is when it finally surpassed the original series to become better in its own thing. Okay, that makes sense. So anyway, why are they making that baby learn calculus? <laughs> like, what in the heck? <laughs> like, <It's- laughs> I, I think the implication is that education uh, techniques are so good in the future that you can teach a nine-year-old calculus. That's what I assume, too. Like, we're so far advanced in science that the kids start learning calculus earlier, but dang, that kid is small. <laughs> also, it was a little weird how, you know, they could imagine a future in which uh, we can teach kids calculus, but they couldn't imagine a future in which we figured out how to teach kids in a way that they don't want to run away from. I know. They still hate learning calculus. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't know about you, but as a kid, I loved to learn and I hated teachers. Yeah, I loved learning, too. That's why I was a reader, because I could teach myself through books. But, like, I was homeschooled after fifth grade, so I have a very bad, weird, skewed perspective on this because I was Mm -hmm. homeschooled in the way that my mother just ignored me and handed me some textbooks. And she could. the only way that she could do that is because I had already been a reader. So she just was like, oh, she reads on her own and just handed me some textbooks. But still, like, I also did not want to learn calculus at, you know, in high school age, like I should have. And this kid was like six. Like, (laughs) I was like, so are they trying to implicate that kids are more emotionally, like, developed 
at that age or was I don't know they wanted to make it relatable because even at the end the dad's like well you still have to learn calculus but we'll let you also sculpt some wood (laughs) (laughs) um I think it was just it was just to showcase uh, it's the future. We are better at teaching kids so they can learn to calculus. Early. But we're not better at listening to them about the things they don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also it makes sense that you that everyone will learn calculus in a future where everyone's traveling through the stars because that's one of the big things with calculus is like uh doing like uh orbital trajectories and stuff like that Uh, that makes sense you know that i had not thought about that because i know nothing about math really and i blame the homeschooling (laughs) but um (laughs) i hate math i had to teach it to myself and i learned enough to pass and i went to college and i took a couple math classes and also passed but like i'm done (laughs) i'm done with math i don't really want to do math uh the one thing that i do in my life that uses a lot of algebra is candle making because i have to scale recipes up and down constantly to make candle batches but that's the only thing i use you know algebra in my life for (laughs) and so i was right there with calculus boy (laughs) most people aren't going to use any math beyond algebra um but that doesn't mean it's bad to teach it because um i i actually saw one teacher uh equate it to like uh exercise like if you're a football player and you're in the weight room the things you're doing in the weight room aren't going to translate one-to-one to to the things you're doing on the field, but they are training your body so that you're better at doing those things on the field. Uh, Higher level math is mental exercise. That makes sense. I want to talk about how they beam straight to the bridge. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, was that because of their special Aldean magic or was or science or whatever? Or is yeah. that because people can just beam straight to the bridge? Because what a security risk. Well, it, it was obvious that I, for one thing, I think the Enterprise probably had their shields down. But also, like, obviously, the, the planet is very technologically advanced. So they were I mean, they were able to, you know shoot a beam that knocks the Enterprise like light years away in a minute. So That's they, true. They, they did. obviously have a lot of uh, uh, advanced technology. Although uh, it's... But with see, all that it, advanced technology, they don't know anything about in vitro or science or betazoid magic that would make them have children or anything. <laughs> like, well, that's the thing. They automated themselves so much that they stopped learning how to do these things and became fully reliant on on the uh uh what do they call it the uh the what was the name of the computer deep thought i don't remember <laughs> yeah deep thought uh, <laughs> but they they the custodian oh that's right because this custodian is not a person because i was laughing at that because my husband is head custodian <laughs> at a high school so every time they said the custodian i was just laughing to myself the custodian is not a person <laughs> <laughs> your husband is not a person yeah <laughs> Oh, what happens in a room where, like, let's say Deanna goes into a room and everyone is emotionally distraught. Like, let's say Deanna goes into, like, a funeral. How does she handle that? Is it like a psychic attack on her? If you walk into a room that has a lot of bright, clashing colors, how do you handle it? By leaving that room. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, say we can go through places that have a lot of bright different colors but we can still like focus our eyes on one thing and just like look at that i I assume she has ways of focusing it so it's not like sookie stackhouse where it's just like she's being inundated with everyone's bad feelings all at once and she can't control them i have not seen true blood but i will take your word on it (laughs) yeah i don't know she can hear everybody's thoughts and it gets really overbearing sometimes (laughs) 
I can't even remember if I finished that show. It's so bad. <laughs> My notes say, hey, kid, you don't have to learn calculus here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that that was the, the whole idea, is they had become so over-reliant on the custodian that they never actually learned anything that was important to maintaining the society they had... Uh, um, they they were focusing entirely on the arts, so I I don't know <laughs> I, I I can see I I know certain STEM lords online will be like hell yeah that's right <laughs> don't don't take arts they're worthless when no no I think you just need a healthy balance of knowing how to do things that's what a liberal also, arts degree is supposed to be right a yeah. little bit of art a little bit of math a little bit of this a little bit of yeah. that so you're a well rounded person and I agree that knowing basic math and knowing basic algebra helps you as a human that's why I said you know cow when I make candles I have to use algebra to a point. But at the same time, as somebody who's a writer, somebody who's focused far more on artistic things in my life than I am on science and math, I agreed with Calculus Kid. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that in a future where we're able to teach kids calculus at age nine, we should only do that if they want to learn calculus at age nine. Or they're good at it. (laughs) My brother learning calculus at age nine i'm not sure if he did but i'm pretty sure he could uh he has always been very mathematically adept um he was learning astronomy at the age of four uh, so wow uh, yeah he uh I, i'm sure if that course was available he he would absolutely take it the, the one thing that i liked is that uh harry was able to recognize here that he has other interests and they were able to bring it out uh there um, you know, and when he goes back to the Enterprise, he's like, "No, I'm still gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do my my wood carving because apparently, uh, I want to make you know a very traditional '80s kitschy dolphin statues, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you can't stop me from 80, making '80s kitschy art. <laughs> All right, yeah. you can do that right after you finish your calculus homework. <laughs> Thanks, Beaver. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but uh, the whole thing was so funny to me. I thought that kid was going to be somebody. I thought I knew his face from somewhere. I had to, to look it up on IMDb because I thought he looked like some, like, you know, child actors as they get older. It's so weird to watch them get older, but he uh-huh. was he just, he was in a few things in the 80s and then went on and lived a life off of the TV, apparently. Huh. But I, I spent the whole episode thinking, oh, I know this kid from somewhere. And of course, I knew Deep Throat and I knew Brenda Strong, so I just felt like maybe I knew that kid or something, but he turned out to be nobody. Yeah, it's always weird looking at child actors once they've grown up, uh, especially like the ones who are really cute as kids, like, say, Macaulay Culkin or um, Mm -hmm. Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. Uh, Macaulay Culkin grew up to look like just an absolute creep and I'm, I'm he's he's a cool dude like i like yeah. him he's very funny but he looks pretty creepy and then yeah. Haley joel osmond kept the same face but his head grew twice as the size so mm-hmm. it's just this small kid's face on this giant head i know his face is exactly the same <laughs> <laughs> it's like they took little baby i see dead people and put it on a grown man i know it's very weird children actors it's weird you know um Kiernan Shipka, I watched her grow up because Mad Men is one of my favorite shows. And um, then I watched The uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So I've watched that child go from like four years old to like 17 years old or whatever. And it's very weird. Oh, the It kids, the kids from It. It was weird to watch, too. Mm -hmm. We're on a tangent, but it's just a (laughs) weird thing to watch. And I guess, I mean, a good way to wrap this back into our episode is is Wesley, Will Wheaton. He hasn't grown up at all. He hasn't grown. He looks just 
just like Wesley. <laughs> the, the only difference between Will Wheaton 30 years ago and Will Wheaton today is he's got a beard and some gray hairs. That's yeah. it. He was like, I really look up to Riker. I want a beard, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you see that that post that was making its rounds a couple weeks ago that he posted about how much he appreciated um, Jonathan Frakes as a person because he would take time out to spend time with him specifically and how much that meant to him? Uh, I don't think I've seen that one specifically, but I do know Will basically sees Jonathan Frakes as like a surrogate father. Yeah, it was a really sweet post. His parents were very abusive to him and basically forced him into the entertainment industry and he basically never got any affirmation from them. Nothing he ever did was good enough for them. And they wanted him to learn calculus at five years old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. He found solace in, in the cool people that were his castmates on TNG. And there's a great in-joke between him and Jonathan Frakes. Like, early on in the show, uh, Will told Jonathan that he thought, uh, uh, I, 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 think, I bet you used to be cool. <laughs> Which he meant like, oh, you were probably cool as a kid. Not realizing that it implies that he's no longer cool. Right. And yeah. so Jonathan Frakes, every once in a while, will just say, yeah, I used to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love Will Wheaton. He's such a lovely person. I don't know mm-hmm. anything about Jonathan Frakes, but he seems like a lovely person, too. Frakes, I love Frakes. He's just he's just a big, lovable giant of a man. Yeah. Um, it's funny, because after TNG, he doesn't really uh, go back into acting, but um, he is like probably one of the most prolific Star Trek directors out there now. Because uh, he starts to... Uh, um, uh, I think that he, they start letting him direct some episodes of TNG. And mm-hmm. then he got to direct two movies of TNG. And he's directed uh, episodes for basically every other show since then. Did he do any of the Picard episodes? I'm trying to remember if he directed them. I mean, obviously he showed up in the Ms. Riker, but I think he directed one or two of them as well. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think the problem here, when they stole the children, is that Wesley's too old. Uh Uh-huh. If they had just kept the younger kids, nobody would have led the rebellion. I I love that he's teaching them (laughs) passive Oh, hell yeah, that was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, hunger strikes and silent strikes, that was awesome. I was like, yes, go Wesley. (laughs) Go Wesley, yeah. Um, Wesley Crusher and the Babysitter's Club, as I was calling this episode in my head. Uh But um, I really thought that the problem here was that Wesley was just too old, because Mm -hmm. all the other kids were kind of malleable. And so if the Aldeans in the future... Because I did notice that Deep Throat comes back for two more episodes. <laughs> so the Aldeans in the future, when they steal children, steal children, they should probably steal children that are a little younger than Wesley. <laughs> is, is that you know perfecting their their children stealing methods? <laughs> did did you, you you saw that the actor came back or because I am assuming he played different characters than in, in his uh, other uh, he was credited as, as Radic or whatever his name was on IMDb because I was looking to see if he was anything other than Deep Throat yeah okay I know who he is uh, he does come back and he uh, is not playing that character uh, but the actor does return oh okay okay yeah oh I liked that they were bringing in I mean they didn't call it climate change they were calling it the ozone layer because that was what we knew in the 80s was that we were chewing a hole in the ozone layer but I liked that they brought the modern like this happened on earth in the 21st century like they like Star Trek is on it they know what's going on in the modern science and they're tying it into their show and I thought it was cool to try to tie it tie the climate change stuff into the episode I like that they just yada yada the repairing the ozone layer. Like the Enterprise just did it off screen and Data says, okay, yep, it's replenished. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, how, how did you do that? Yeah. 
no, how did you do that? The ozone layer, that's like billions of tons of atmosphere. How did you do that? You don't have billions of tons on the Enterprise. How did you do that? With the Enterprise, obviously. I, I, I assume it was some like cascading event where they fired a laser at a certain point in the atmosphere and it generated and it split the uh, oxygen into ozone or something like that. I don't know. Sure. Homeschool. <laughs> Um, I love the part at the end where Calculus Boy is like, tell my dad I miss him. Because in my brain, I was like, tell him I never want to do Calculus again. (laughs) (laughs) I really, apparently, I was real attached to Calculus Kid. Oh, I thought it was hilarious that his first sculpture, he took a block of wood and turned it into a log. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, they're teaching him artistic irony at the same time as teaching him skills. That makes me think of, there's a meme that I saw that uh, it, the the text of the meme was a piece of the true self exists in the false self and it was a picture of dinosaurs evolving into chickens which get turned into dino nuggets oh <laughs> that's funny <laughs> <laughs> This was such a good evolution of I'm John Luke Picard and I'm a dick to kids, though. Like, he's actually, like, they're, they've taken this this theme of John Luke not liking kids and they keep, like, honing it to the point where apparently he's going to have, like, 20 children and just love children. <laughs> when Alexandra runs up to him with her arms spread out and he stands there for a minute like, what do I do? I've never had a kid do this to me before. I'm like, you give her a hug, you asshole. That's what you do. She's a little kid. She's got her arms out. You pick her up and you give her a hug. It, I'm sure it's in our human DNA to know what a child wants when they run at us with our, their arms open. <laughs> because as they say in, in the episode, humans are unusually attached to their offspring. <laughs> yeah. I, that was a little weird for Deanna to say, because I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm pretty sure that Luxana is attached to you, and Luxana is not human, so yeah, I don't I think it's just humans that are like that. I think that's probably a pretty strong instinct for any social species. Yeah, I know. I thought so, too. I thought it was a weird statement. Humans are, like, because everybody's, even animals, like, there's a lot of animals that are attached to their offspring. It's not just humans, you know? <laughs> I mean, there are some animals that aren't attached to their offspring. They'll just That's lay the true. eggs and, and, and uh, go off. Go off. Um, <laughs> but in social species, you know, uh, obviously they do take care of their kids. Um so, yeah, there there is a strong uh, emotional attachment there. Do and we ever go to Atlantis since they likened this to Atlantis? Is there ever an Atlantis episode of The Next Generation? There actually, uh, they don't go to Atlantis, but there is apparently a uh, terraforming project on Earth to create a new landmass in the Atlantic Ocean called Atlantis. Oh, interesting. Uh, I, uh, it's just mentioned in one episode, but... Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's that makes sense. If we have the technology to terraform an entire planet, we should have the technology to terraform our own planet. I question the ethics of doing so, though, considering that in order to do that, you would be upsetting uh, a large amount of, like, you know, uh, ecosystem in the ocean because things live there. Yeah. Things we don't even know live there. That's what fascinates me about the ocean. There's monsters down there we don't even know about. (laughs) Uh But that's for 24th century people to to figure out. I don't have to worry about it. (laughs) It sure is. Okay, well, thanks for joining us today. And I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. 
Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash breastofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.